0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This podcast is a part of a Bible study series led by our local retired pastor, Dr. Dan Stinson, exploring the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and six common themes found within. This week, we focus on the theme, Walking in the Truth.
1: Okay, we're looking at the Johannine epistles. Everybody knows what an epistle is, right? It's the wife of an apostle. Now. An epistle is a letter, that's all it means. Uh, it's a lengthy letter, however, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are not true letters. Uh, they act as a letter, but when you look at it, comparing it to what Paul writes, that's the air conditioning that you're hearing, uh, when you look at what Paul writes, he has an introduction, a salutation. Then he has the main body then he has a blessing and closing that would be the format of a roman letter back then john doesn't do that john just simply starts talking to the people and it's more like an essay delivered to the people more than, than the old-fashioned letter even though he addresses the woman did any of you read in first second or third john he refers to the woman He's, By the woman, he means the church, right? Uh, The church in Greek at that time probably was feminine in Ecclesia. So what we're going to look at is rather than read each of the three and analyze them word for word, you know, line by line, there are at least six themes that John covers in all three, you know, within those three letters. Some are in all three letters. Some of those themes are only in one of the letters. Some of the themes are in two of the letters, right? But the themes are walking in the truth, the centrality of love, fellowship within the community, or the term is in Greek koinonia. Remember back in the 70s, some of you may remember, there were koinonia groups being developed in churches. Right? Uh, he spends time dealing with sin and forgiveness. Hospitality is as much about who to include and who not to include within the church setting. And then imitate the good. And we'll talk in detail each evening on one of those six all right now I want us to begin tonight by looking at a few things first and foremost we really don't know who wrote the letters hence the term Johannian or Johannian it means a school of people if you will we are United Methodist we're all Christians But we have a certain way of looking at the scripture. We have a certain way of looking at the doctrines of the church. That would be the school of Methodism or Wesleyanism. You have a Lutheran church. They have a particular way of looking at scripture. They would be known as the Lutheran school, the Presbyterian school, the Roman Catholic school, you name it. These people gathered together in a town called Ephesus in what is now Turkey. Back then it was known as Asia Minor. And more than likely, because of the way the three letters flow, each of them or all of them were written by somebody or someones within that school of thought. Uh, much of it is similar to the Gospel of John, even the beginning of it. Of, of the first, When we first start off, it says, We declare to you what we have heard from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, etc., Very similar to the Gospel of John's prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, etc. So there's some connection. But the content is at variance at times. So there's no no concrete evidence to say, yes, John wrote the same Gospel in those three letters. Chances are, probably not. You may be looking at two or as many as three different people writing it. Same way with the Revelation of John. And truthfully, that's misnamed. It's not the revelation of John. What is it? The revelation to John. It wasn't John's revelation. It was God's revelation to John. Right? Follow? So again, he more than likely did not write all those four or five documents now. So we, as with all of Scripture, we don't really know for sure. Paul's letters are the only ones that, and even that, only seven of them, can we confirm as being almost 100% certain they were written by Paul. All the others were written by groups of people who were either trained by somebody whose name is attached to it. All right? Does that make sense? Okay. So what I'd like to do is show you where the stories of these two churches, because... John's three epistles are written to two different congregations in the same town, same city, facing the same issue or issues. That place is Ephesus. And you'll see, I think better by looking at it than me just saying it, some images that will help you understand what John was facing, what the church was facing at that time. this is Ephesus this is just one small entrance into Ephesus uh, it was a major city it was the capital of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire now you see this plain back here in the days of Paul in the days of John that was a river what happened is the silt built up so much that it closed the harbor. Ephesus at once was, in its earliest days, a seaport. That river led out to this to the sea into the Adriatic. Um, incredible. So you can walk now for a mile or more, and you normally would have been walking in the river, <laughs> and it's just not there anymore. Now, how big was Ephesus? Ephesus another view of it, had about 300,000-plus people. It was a major city. Now, we tend to think of all these stories of Jesus and in the Bible taking place in little towns, right? That's the image that we tend to have. This is a major metropolitan area, right? What we're looking at is Celsus Library, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a bit. Again, this tells us how large the city was. That is the remains of a 75 room hotel. It's incredible, right? The remains of the temple of Hadrian, the Emperor Hadrian. Remember the Roman Empire, and at that time, the emperors were worshiped as God. And so there would be a temple to the emperor. Rome permitted freedom of religion for all of its subjects, provided they did three things. One, they kept the peace. Two, they paid their taxes. And three, at least once a year, they paid homage to the emperor as man and God, only dominating both man and God. And so you would find all through the Roman Empire, you will find temples. Related to the name of a former emperor. This is Hadrian's. Uh, Now, because you have a big city, because it's a seaport, because you have a hotel, what do you need? A latrine. (laughs) This is the public latrine that was open to everybody. It is a 42-seat between big place <laughs> all right now again because it's a seacoast because it's a port city you have sailors coming in what a sailor is sometimes known for when they're on shore leave they look for the brothel this is a stone this is how the sailor, or any man of his choice wanted to find a brothel this stone would have been covered with dirt you would simply squirt it away, pour some water on it, and the toes would point you in the direction that you wanted to go. Road markers, if you will, from the Roman Empire. Just incredible. Just think of the city and how, how huge this is. Also think of the culture that is influencing, just as culture influences us as a church, just think of how this is influencing the Christian community. There's the Celsus Library. At its time, it was probably the largest library in the world. Any of you ever remember the Alexandria Library in Egypt? Anybody ever hear about that in school? It was the first or second largest one. It had a major fire, and the Celsus Library donated 20,000 volumes to the Alexandria Library after their fire again, it just tells you how big and how broad the culture was, right? Just another view of the buildings, that's left of them. Streets always had columns on them. They were known as the colonnade. These are the steps into what they call the great theater. There are two theaters in Ephesus. One is known as the small one. This is a picture of the great one. Now, when you read in Acts chapter 19, you read the story of Paul encountering the idol makers. And he starts preaching that they're just stone. They're really not alive. They can't be true gods that Christ is the only true God. And what do you think they do? They get upset. Literally, a riot breaks out in Ephesus over what Paul is saying, because if people listen to Paul, then they will stop buying the idols, which means the idol makers are out of business. So there's confrontation. You read all about that in Acts. Now, this theater holds... 25,000 people. It has 22 flights of stairs, 22 levels. So just keep that in mind. It's mammoth, right? Anybody recognize these two people? Looks like Bill Dawson. It is Bill Dawson. <laughs> and that's his wife sitting next to him. Uh, did you? How it was Bill today. So-so. Yeah. Anybody recognize him? Jim Decker. Yes, it is. Yep. I can't figure out all of the other... Oh, there's Joan Lansbury. I finally found her. Yeah. Yeah, it was a rainy day. But we sat in that theater for a very special purpose we had four united methodist bishops with us and we had a communion service Uh, if you were were here for the last two or three years for monday thursday remember we had all the different chalices up front Uh, these are the chalices one of those was mine Uh, we had a beautiful communion service and each of the bus captains which i was shared the elements with the people in that section where they were seated for it. When I got back to the ship, the chalice was sitting on my bed as a gift from whoever gave it. But it was handmade that day. You know, it's just, just beautiful. But it was tremendous service. Now, tradition has it that two things, one, that John, the author of Revelation and the author of the Gospels and the three letters, after the death of Jesus, took Mary someplace. Tradition says he took him to or took her to Ephesus. We don't know that. There's no concrete evidence to prove that, but tradition has it. So there is a stone marking what supposedly is the tomb of John. The trouble is. John refers to himself as John in one point, but in another letter, how does he describe himself? The loved or the elder, which was a generic term for teacher. You respect your elders because they teach you things, right? So all of these are important because we come to the most important one, the modern-day Greek god. I had to put that one in. You sure heard the howls as they had people taking... hmm? I know, but it's all Greek to me. (laughs) Okay, what I wanted you to... Wake up now. What I wanted you to notice is how do you live in a culture and not be influenced by the culture? Right? When you are trying to establish a new church, you're in a huge town, With all the power and fanfare of Rome, it's impossible to separate the two. Don't we have the same difficulty today? I've often maintained that most people make their opinions not by what they read in scripture, but what they hear their politicians and their neighbors say. That shapes their ideas. That shapes their worldview. Exactly, exactly. They were paying the price for being faithful to what they felt that was their call. And so John is not, whoever this John is, John is not only dealing with all of that, he's now dealing with something internally as well. He's dealing with the concept of docetism, which basically is part of Gnosticism, which the Gnostics were those Christians and Greek philosophers who said they were given divine information that nobody else had. That they knew what it meant to be a Christian and nobody else was. That they were the super-Christians and everybody else was the second-class Christian. And so he was dealing with that. And as a result of that conflict, those who agreed with the docetists were leaving the church. They were separating and starting another congregation. So John's trying to Convince the people, don't separate, but by the same token, don't follow what they're teaching you. Because what docetism was saying is that Jesus, because he was God, could not be flesh. In the Greek world, which is part of the Roman Empire, in the Greek world, everything that was flesh was evil. Everything that was of the spirit was good. So if God is spirit, how can you say God's son? His flesh. It would automatically make him evil. And so they went so far as to teach that when Jesus hung on the cross, it was not him. His spirit was in somebody else's body. Right? Now, Obviously, we don't believe that. <laughs> but in the early days, that was part of the teachings that were influencing the early church. And John is addressing that and saying, forget that follow these things instead. So he takes these six and he runs with them. So tonight we're going to look at the whole concept of truth. And that gets kind of tricky for us because we live in a world at the moment where truth is a almost absent. Uh, whatever you want to be true is true. Okay. Now, but for John, he talks about walking... In the truth. Now, keep in mind the early Christians were initially Jews. Walking was important. You read at least several times where someone was walking with God. What's the first one you read about? Adam. Adam and Eve were walking in the garden with God. That meant they were in, to walk with God was to be in God's presence. How did people travel in those days? Most of them walked. Abraham, right, has a conversation. He has an encounter with God, and God says, Abe, I want you to go on a journey with me. Where are we going, God? I'll tell you when we get there. And it says that they walked. He walked through in faith. So walking is part of the the analogy that's being used, that we are to walk in truth. Now, the problem is, what is truth for John? What is truth for you? When you hear the word truth, what what do you think of? Absolute, okay. What else? Absolute meaning right or wrong, yes or no, okay. Let your ye yeas be yeas, yea, nays be nays in the old King James, right?
2: Okay. I didn't think of Pontius Pilate when he's
1: talking with Jesus. Right. Yeah. And he says, and what is truth? Yeah. Said is truth? He is truth, yeah. yeah. What John is getting at is the concept that Jesus is God in the flesh, in answer to the docetists. Jesus is not just a man, Jesus is God in the flesh, incarnate. That's what the word incarnate means, simply means in the flesh. Chili con carne is what? Chili with meat. Right? Incarnate, in the meat, in the flesh. So he's saying to them, the truth is Jesus was a human and God at the same time. That's the truth that he's calling the church to walk in, as opposed to walking in the docetism idea that he was just an abstract symbol, that he was just the spirit, but not fully present. All right? So that's where he's going with that. Uh, It's important that we remember something critical, and that is, John, as did Paul, believed that Christ was going to return in his lifetime. They all, pretty much all did. They all did. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, that did not occur. At least, not in the way most people interpret it. Right. Most people are still looking for the Perusia or the the second coming of Christ. Uh, we can spend some time on that later if you want. Uh, I think that's a misreading, because obviously it hasn't happened. Paul was wrong. John was wrong, because it hasn't happened, if we take it the way most people interpret it. Am I correct? 2,000 years, and we're still saying the same thing, but it hasn't happened, unless it happened in a different way. And it, True. But then uh, if it's in the future, then Paul and John were both wrong. Or did they understand something else? Or maybe they were looking at it a different way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly my point. I think a case can be made that it's already occurred, that it occurs every day. That Christ returns to you every, every time you open your eyes, every time you have a prayer, Christ is present. Where two or three are gathered, I am in your midst. That maybe we're already living in the kingdom and just not living the way we should. Maybe. Like maybe. I think it all depends yeah. whether you believe he's going to
0: come again in the flesh or is he here for the second coming in the spirit?
1: That's a good possibility.
2: How does the revelation happen if he doesn't
1: return? Well, that's another whole Bible study.
2: <laughs> which <laughs> which quite honestly
1: Which quite honestly I have been hesitant to do. Because it is such a divisive concept. Uh, When I first arrived here back in 2004, somebody on the who it was did a Bible study. Not a Bible study because they used the Tim LaHaye series. Do Any of you remember that? The Left Behind series. They used that. And then afterwards, someone led a study theologically from the Bible instead and caught an awful lot of flack because it contradicted with what Tim LaHaye said. And there's still some remnants of that in the congregation. Uh, I sat behind a couple, uh, gee, probably four, five, six years ago, when Gary, well, it wouldn't be that long, it would be about three or four years, Gary addressed the issue of revelation and his understanding of it. And the woman in front of me was just, no, 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 no. I mean, she was furious with him because he was saying some things differently than what she understood. So I've always been reluctant. (laughs) Not only myself, but it's said that Martin Luther wrote a commentary for every book in the Bible. How many books are in the Bible? He only wrote 65 commentaries. He said he wouldn't do it because it didn't belong in the Bible. Oh. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, when the council put the Bible together in 3687, something like that, there's a long debate as to whether or not it should be in there. That it sort of contradicted what they understood the Gospels to be saying. And so it's been problematical ever since. Right?
2: The Bible is library. I know man puts yeah. his fingers in things and makes yes. a mess. Yeah. But yeah, you, I, you have to respect the fact that I do, that right. it's that it's there, and some of the
1: the imagery is what I think gets most people. Right, exactly. I think I think Martin Luther was wrong.
2: Yeah.
1: I think he was right and he was rebelling against what I consider the misinterpretation of it. Mm-hmm. To me, it's one of the most hopeful books. Absolutely. Uh I have been able to reassure people in times of crises with Revelation 21 and 22. A new heaven and new earth. Uh, I am with you. You know, the, the constancy of God's presence. Uh, revelation, excuse me, revelation means to reveal. It reveals that no matter what you face, God's still going to win. Now, what happens is, you're right, the language, the images which are very, very Hebraic, that we have all kinds of issues with. And people have tried to interpret it all different ways. Uh, people predict when the world is going to end based on it, which is what you're referring to. Uh, and so far, they've all been wrong. Because <laughs> so, uh, we're still here. So we have to take another look at it and say, what's really going on? And that's part of the reason why the three epistles of John, are somewhat different than Revelation because Revelation gets misinterpreted whereas John's letter doesn't. John's letters or epistles. Do you want to say something else? It? Okay. Yeah. Uh, remember we said that the Bible is a library. 66 books. And as with any library, there are different categories of books. So when we look at Revelation, there are those who maintain Revelation as prophecy. It is not. It's apocrypha. It's apocalyptic. It is talking about the end. But the end times has to be understood within the Hebrew setting. We talk about years, months, weeks, Decades, centuries, millennium, right? The Hebrew people, and Jesus included, divided time between the age that is and the age to come. Now that's foreign to us. But Jesus said, This age will not pass away until, right? He's talking about the age when God is not physically present to the time when God is physically present or spiritually present. So the question then becomes, and the the Christian church has debated this for years. Do we live in the belief that God is present in our lives? Then that's the new age. Because the belief was prior to that God was distant. God was not intimate. Look at the beautiful image in John's Gospel about the time that Christ dies on the cross. Yeah, the ripping of the curtain. Yeah, everything is open. Yeah, everything is open now because of Christ. And notice, normally when you rip a piece of material, those of you who sew, you saw it at the top, don't you? And you rip it down. It was ripped from the bottom up, it was rent in twain from the bottom. In other words, it opens up to humanity immediately, right? So with the coming of Christ, says John, we now know God is still present. Even if he's physically not present, unlike the docetists, he's saying Christ is still here. And you are to walk in that truth. You are to live in that truth. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just live today as if God is right there with you. I remember the Sunday school teacher years ago asking the question of us would you do and would you think the way you do and the way you think if you knew Jesus was standing next to you? That woke us up, right? Yeah. That's what John's trying to get at. That the kingdom is present because Christ is present. Does that make sense?
2: Can't
1: hide. Can't hide, right. Remember the song, Be Careful Little Hands What To Do? Right? Father Up Above is Looking Down in Love, Be Careful Little Hands What To do. do. do you know that song?
2: No, what
1: you see, yeah. What yeah, you yeah. it's a it's a little nursery rhyme that the kids would sing in Sunday school.
2: Yeah. I think it's Psalm one thirty nine, if I go up to the heavens, down to the yeah. depths. Yeah. You can't, you can't Thou
1: art there, right. right. You cannot escape God. You can't escape yeah. Um uh, Who was it? Uh, I think of the guy's name. He was an English theologian who referred to God as the hound of heaven. That God is like a little puppy dog nipping at your heels at all times. You can't get away from him. You can try, but that puppy still gets you. (laughs) Okay. So. What he's talking about, N.T. Wright is one of the Authors I I like to read. I don't always agree with his theology, but he's often spot on. And this is what he says about all of John's letters. We can take it that this involves, talking about walking in the truth, that this involves not just correct doctrine and proper outward behavior, but that love for God and for our fellow believers, which for John is the sign that the truth of the gospel had really been grasped. Not as an abstract idea, but as what it is, the very life of God Himself at work in God's people. So he's calling the people to walk with God. Does that make sense? Okay. So the questions we have for tonight, let's see how we're doing. Okay, good. What do you understand to be the meaning of the word truth? Is truth just correct thoughts about God in Christ? Does truth involve behavior? Where have you seen truth distorted? Jump in. What are, your, what are your responses? What do you understand the meaning of the word truth to be? Anybody? Anybody? It's it's hard. We need to deal with it. I forget which uh, Supreme Court justice it was. He said, "I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it." Right? I think I I know truth when I see it, but I have a hard time defining it. How would you define it? anybody. Uh, yeah, so am I. Uh, wasn't that similar to the statement that uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Yeah. You're looking at basically saying, you're, here he is. <laughs> you're looking at it. This is what truth is. Yes. And that's precisely what John is saying. The presence of Christ now is the truth in which you walk. So how does it live itself out then? Obviously, it's more than just doctrines. Doctrines are man-made creations to try to explain the unexplainable. And sometimes the church has gotten it wrong. There's a doctrine that women shouldn't be leaders, (laughs) you know, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so we know that human frailty is always at work in the church. But to walk in truth... I think, at least, says that when I see something untrue, I have an obligation to call it out. When I see evil, I have an obligation to confront it as a Christian. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? And the court prophet, Nathan, tells this parable. He says, King David, there was a man who had all kinds of sheep. He spotted a man who only had one sheep, and he took that one sheep for himself. And what was David's response? That man deserves to die. And Nathan looks him right in the eye, points the finger, and says, you're the man. You're the guy I'm talking about. There are times that the church, I think, has lost its prophetic voice and is unafraid to point that out and say this is wrong. Socially, we have a lot of stuff going on in our culture that the church should be speaking about. And we don't hear it quite as often as we should. Is there a spot line judge? I mean,
2: you know, I know something's wrong. Right. And if it's definitely okay. wrong, I Okay, let me ask it's you this. It's not my job to judge that
1: they're wrong. Okay, let me ask you this. If you see a just smoke coming out of a house, can you make an assumption that there might be a fire there? You could, yeah. Would you not do one of two things? Either okay. call the fire alarm or knock on their door? Yeah. Without all the certainty. Of course not. You're going to do what you believe to be the right thing. In love. Though. In love.
0: In love. I'm it's called 12 Ordinary men. Oh, yes. Uh, and, yeah. and he says, he talks about, right now I was reading about John. Right. And John, as a youth, that he was all about truth, but he lacked love. And, and he said that uh, it's wonderful to have a high regard for truth, but zeal for truth must be balanced by love for people. Right. Or it'll give way to judgmentalism, right. And lack of
1: yeah. Uh, I said he this to have the truth
0: but love has to be right along with
1: it. What's the first thing that the what at the truth what does John cover? Love. The centrality of love. And he says right.
0: the truth without love is just Right. And
1: love without
0: truth is yeah. just sentimental. Right.
1: It? But love without action isn't love.
0: Right.
1: It's so. just emotion. Well, what
2: is, is that? Corinthians? Or they Oh, that's
1: Hugo yeah. first Corinthians thirteen. But actually, it's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, and then 13. You need to read that last verse before you start reading 13. Because he says, in 12, he's talking about all the different things that people are trying to do to, be quote, to be Christian. And 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says, but I will show you a more excellent way, the way of love. We miss that when we just jump into 13. That's
2: what I see today in our culture lot is that we can't even agree to disagree without being
1: yeah without being disagreeable
2: yeah right we can't even agree to disagree in love i mean we can maybe you're not going to change my mind maybe i'm not going to change your mind but i'm still going to love you're you still my sister you're still my brother i'm not you know yeah but we don't i don't see that today i just see too caught up in fighting yeah
1: to some degree it's true but by the same token there are some issues that are severe enough that sometimes you just have to say, I love you, but you're not going to like what I'm saying to you. That's it. That's it. you know, I can love you and still say something that you need to hear. Mm-hmm. You may not like me.
0: Sometimes you have to. But you know what yeah. I'm saying today is very few people can combine the two together. Right. You know, I mean, right. I, I tell you what, I, you know too, I mean, I read Facebook and I see people who, on one hand, you are bashing people and calling them idiots and all kind of names, and then they're, every very next verse they're saying, I love God, yeah? Right, <laughs> you know, right. Okay, really?
1: yeah? Anyone who says, I love God and hates their neighbor yes. is a liar. Yes. That's scripture. That's scripture. And I think that's John. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, yes. Uh, you know, I realize that, In this part of the world where we live, in western Pennsylvania, I'm perceived to be a very liberal individual. I don't think I'm liberal. I think I'm Christian. And that forces me to sometimes confront things that people don't want to talk about, like racism. So I march in Beaver Falls, because that's where we live. And there's an issue that the church has ignored for a long time. We need to deal with it. It's not popular. I'm not judging those who have those issues, but I am calling attention to the fact that those issues need to be addressed. They need to be confronted. Are you popular for it? With a small group, but with the main culture? No, you're not. John was dealing with a huge powerful empire. And the way the Christians were living was so different from the way the Romans were living. And one of the Roman empires, and I cannot remember his name, made this statement. See the Christians, how they love one another. That stood out. Because nobody was loving each other. It was a doggy dog world. Power ruled. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was heavy handed with the Roman army. They kept the peace. Justice was swift and brutal. If they. Well, oh, yeah, we are so enculturated, we are so absorbed with the norms around us. Uh,
0: I can see the distinction when you're talking about back then. Now, sometimes it's hard for me to
1: tell. Yeah. You know. Very, very hard. It was hard for John Lewis. It was hard for Martin Luther King to publicly stand up and condemn what, not the people, but what the people were doing. Here's the way I look at it. If we are truly family, which I believe in my depth of my being, we are called to be family. In fact, if I ever write a book about God in all its totality, rather than talk about the kingdom of God, I would drop the G. We're all kin. We're all family. Talk about the family of God.
2: There's only two people in the garden. I'm sorry, some people don't get that
1: I know (laughs) but always remember it was not the apple in the tree it was the pear on the ground that created the problem right? (laughs) (laughs) and besides the point it doesn't say apple it It does not say apple that's always my trick question when I teach Old Testament the very first question is who bit the apple on the tree in the garden.
0: Oh, buddy. So it, really it just says out. fruit. It, no. it says out. fruit. Like how many
1: words? Yeah, right. 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 Okay. So, to me, when he's calling people to walk in the truth, truth as you know it would be, Christ is Lord, not Caesar, so, you have to walk the way Christ would have you walk, not the way Caesar or society would have you walk. That's the issue today. So many of us, and I've said it before, uh, so many Christians I've known in congregations over the years shaped their ideas about life more by politicians and public figures and personalities than they do from the Bible.
2: I just, you know, back to what you were saying. Um, that's one of the reasons why you know we read uh, about um, King Nebuchadnezzar, you know the statue, right. and when the when he would blow the trumpet, everybody had to bow down to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Ephesians said, "Uh uh uh uh, we do bow to God, you know." So as a result, you know we right. all know the story, but it's just that's what I look at, how I kind of right. picture. In
1: Ephesus, there yeah, is a huge. Post with nothing on top of it. What used to be on it was a huge statue two or three stories high of Artemis mm-hmm. The goddess of fertility and everybody had to bow down to her right? Who's all the gods who do we follow?
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly some people, movie stars and yeah. football
1: players, and right. mm-hmm. yeah. players. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a couple of, oh, maybe two or three Lent's ago, doing the one of the Lent meditations, and they used the title, Christ is Lord. And the message was, that means Caesar isn't. If Christ is our Lord, then the government and the culture are not. I may love my country, but when my country does something wrong, I have an obligation as a Christian to call it out and name it. Verse two of America is seldom sung or talked about. Yet to me it's the most important verse God mend thine every floor. America can't have the floors mended until they own up to the fact that it has flaws. When we say we're number one and we're the greatest, oh well really? What does that do about kingdom? What does that do about family? There's over 200 nations in the world, and all of them feel the same way about their country. So what do we do? We look inward and we examine our own thoughts, our own attitudes. You know the old saying, if you point a finger, there's three pointing back at yourself. That's how you avoid judgmentalism. You recognize that, yeah, what you're doing is wrong, but you know what? You can probably point your finger three times at me and you'd be right on.
0: But you know what? I think, though, I mean, within the church, not everybody agrees on, you know, what issues are wrong and right. Exactly, yeah?
1: exactly. I mean,
0: I mean, there's people who, of course, you know, of course, racism. We have racism. People oppose abortion, people oppose homosexuality, people oppose other things. Right. And the, the hard thing within the church it seems, not everybody stands for the same thing.
1: And that has always been true. The church has never been unified. Two-thirds of the New Testament was written, we believe, by who? The Apostle Paul. Of the 13, 14 letters, only seven are probably his. The others are probably from his school, but not necessarily from him. And you know, I've had people ask me over the years as a pastor, "The church needs to become like people lived in the Bible." And I said, "You don't want that to happen. Look at it; it's filled with problems." It's filled with vice, it's filled with venom, it's filled with anger, it's filled with all kinds of stuff. Yeah, there's some good things in it.
0: So what's the difference today? Yeah, so yeah. said, you read it,
2: and I think, this is today, Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah,
1: okay, which tells you the Bible is today? still timeless, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. The United Methodist mm-hmm. Church, which is one of the reasons why I love the United mm-hmm. Methodist Church. Well, I love God, Right. Okay. Let me, God, your
1: God Dan. What else?
2: Is <laughs> that we will minister to everybody. Right. They just you can't be maybe well for sure a homosexual maybe can't be in a pulpit, mm-hmm. but we will minister to everybody. We don't thumb our nose or so or God. not love anyone.
0: And that's one thing I agree with you. It, and especially like when it came to communion, you know, and the pastors always say everybody's welcome. Yeah, I don't think anybody should be right. You have turned away. Yeah. yeah. that's. I mean, whether you take communion or not, that's between you and God. It's not between the right. creature and
1: you. Right. you know. But I but I would throw out a challenge because our denomination is ready to split. I mean, come this spring, we're because going to Because they're t- trying to
2: address these issues. So, What's that? Instead of letting people have their own opinions. And loving each other, they want to force people to have an opinion. The
1: main issue is one statement in our discipline that homosexuality is incompatible with being a Christian. That means anybody who's gay is automatically not a Christian. So, how how then can we say we minister to them? We've already said they don't belong to us.
2: So, how can you change a heart or help people to see Christ if you are turning your backs on them?
1: Exactly. Exactly. exactly.
0: And that's that's exactly. why I go back to when we talked about the truth. And I, I see a lot of preachers on TV who will talk about homosexuality and more or less if I was gay, there ain't no way I'm going to any church after this absolutely, you know, absolutely. Where yeah. and, and I do believe, you know, and that's one thing I you say too. I love the idea we're still welcoming. You know, I mean God yeah. changes people. How can people be changed? Eternal life, but, but
1: you know. the church is being challenged to welcome and to baptize it means to make everyone a minister in United Methodist theology your baptism is the first step on the road to ministry not ordained ministry necessarily the church usually has only one or two pastors but hundreds of people hundreds of ministers and so I, I argue this point at annual conference all the time You know, if we're going to forbid or homosexuals to be ordained, then we have to stop baptizing them. Or we're making a mockery of baptism because we're not putting you on a road to ministry. It was the same thing 30 years ago with women, where women could not be pastors. Same argument. And guess what? When we ordained women, the church didn't fall apart.
0: In, in fact that baptism that we talked about- is that the way baptism is understood from the Bible?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're baptized in order to follow Jesus in the way Jesus calls his disciples.
0: Because it, in the actual Baptists, what I get from them being baptized is just a proclamation that I accept mm-hmm. Christ.
1: In our Methodism, baptism is the first step into the door of the church and all of its ministries. That at baptism, you receive a gift of the Spirit of some kind, whether it be hospitality or generosity or whatever. And then you are to use those gifts within the ministry of that congregation. In
2: essence, we are all ministers to each other.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, When I was full-time pastor, I would often take the membership of the church and on the bulletin where you would have, it would say Pastor Daniel A. Stinson, it would list 375 ministers. Not by name, but just by number. Whatever the attendance of the church was. I was their pastor, but we ministered together. Does that make
0: sense?
1: That's different than some other denominations. Sure. Same way with United Methodists. We are not appointed to a church. As a pastor, we're appointed to the community through the church. The community is listed before the church name is. Is that
0: why you get moved around
1: a lot? It's part of the reason you get moved around, but also why the most Methodist pastors are very much involved in the community for that reason, unlike, say, Presbyterian or Lutheranism, where the congregation hires and fires. If you don't do what they say, you're no longer welcome. Uh, we have a different format. We have a committee called the Staff Parish Committee and who works with the district superintendent to change a pastor for different reasons.
2: Did they have that vote, PS? What's that? I don't remember hearing anything. Did they have that vote on LGBT? Not
1: yet. That will be coming up sometime this spring. So it's supposed to be July or it was, but because of the, it, the virus, yeah. everything's been pushed further and further. Our annual conference, which normally meets in June, for four days, is going to meet for one day at Presque Isle in October. Yeah, Everything messed up with the, with the virus. I uh, think Are
2: going to get things done in one day.
1: <laughs> that's all it really takes. The rest is so much fluff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've been to annual conference. Yes, many
2: years ago. Yeah. So you
1: know that there's a lot of stuff that doesn't have to happen there. <laughs> uh, I haven't been there in 10 years, and I haven't missed it. <laughs> I miss the fellowship. I miss the worship. But I don't miss hearing somebody arguing over a piece of legislation, the, well, should it say shall or should,
2: mm-hmm.
1: for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That's one of the nice things that's come out of the... Uh... The virus situation has forced you to realize like what's important and yeah, absolutely how much time you should really spend on a subject like yeah, let's shrink sure. it down if we don't need it right. like, yeah. just focus on what's important
1: yeah. But I'm like Kent Parkhill when people in a church disagree. My response is that's okay. I agree with you, but then we both be wrong. <laughs> I love that statement. <laughs> You know, the question is, can we disagree without being disagreeable? Yeah, that's what love is all about. Does that mean people are going to like you? No. See, what the trouble is, I think, Ed, that this is the main issue that we see in culture, is that we've confused like with love. Like is an emotion. I like this. I don't like that. Love is an action that says, even if I don't like what you're doing, I will do nothing to hurt you and everything I can to help you.
0: Well, when Jesus says, love your enemies, uh, you know, if somebody, you know, harms you or murders somebody in your family, I don't think he's talking about that like emotion. Uh, I think he's talking about the way you fight against them, the way you treat them. Don't. Call 5000 do up or anything, but right. or whatever. We
1: had a pastor in our con- in our conference, oh, gee, it's been 20 years now, that um, made the national headlines. His daughter and two granddaughters were brutally raped and killed in their home. And he shared with me his struggle. How do I forgive them? How do I still love the guy who did that? And he said, quite honestly, my immediate response was, "I now believe in capital punishment." <laughs> and he said, "I had to work through that." That's the thing. Love takes the time to work through it. Is not an immediate response.
2: Well, John Wesley, it uh, was a study I took years ago. Little brown book that I still have and read right. often. And it's do good, right? Do no harm. Um, right. Stay in love with God.
1: Right. And those who say I love God but hate the neighbor is right, a liar. Right. So you cannot separate the two. Right. Yeah. Just you know, do
2: good. If you can't do any good, don't don't right. Don't do any harm. Just
1: right. Don't intentionally do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. it so, well, my mother taught me if you can't say something nice, keep
1: not do as my yeah. right. nephew always says, if you can't say something nice, say it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. The, that's love action. Right. I
1: uh, had a good friend who died a couple of years ago. And whenever he was appointed to a new church, his first sermon had this question in it Do you love Christ more than you love your opinions? That's hard because we think our opinions are shaped by Christ. We we like to believe we're Christian. Therefore, every one of our thoughts are the right thoughts. Unless you're God himself, that's not true. Right? So truth then is walking in such a way that the love of God is present. And sometimes the love of God confronts. Sometimes the love of God comforts. We were taught in seminary in preaching. It's the pastor's job to comfort those who are afflicted in the pews and to afflict those who become too comfortable in the pews. I had one man go out of church one day and I said, Tane, you really stepped on my toes. I said, well, you got 10 of them for a reason. <laughs> did you feel the pinch? He said, yes. I said, is it going to change what you think? He said, probably. I said, then I did my job. You know, you're supposed to. Right? Uh, Martha Luther King did not have success because he was sweet and kind. It was because he was firm enough in his understanding of God's will that he's willing to do whatever is necessary in order to accomplish it. Uh, I just finished reading John Lewis's book. Uh, same way. You know, who willingly allows himself to be beaten with a club simply to walk across a bridge? And all through the book, he kept, you know, John Lewis keeps saying, but this is what God calls us to do. We confront evil. And that means you're not popular. Right?
2: The light shines in the
1: darkness, and the darkness... So overcoming, right?
2: right?
1: So truth then becomes not an abstract, but a way of life. Do we do it perfectly? No, because we're imperfect people. I remember when my kids were all in school... We celebrated one of my children who received an A and got a special treat because they got an A. But the other one was treated because they got a C. That one worked fully to their capacity. They were treated the same. I think that's the story of life. As long as you try to do the best you can under God's leadership, that's the best you can do. Are you going to make mistakes? Or are you going to be as good as somebody else? No. You know, I was always taught, try to avoid a fight. Because even if you win it, there's somebody bigger than you waiting in the wings to come and take you on. Right? I wouldn't survive in New York City with the gangs in the high school. if so I didn't learn how to be friends with both sides. I made sure that the leader of both gangs was my friend. So both gangs left me alone. That's the early training in reconciliation. I was reconciling myself to being safe. <laughs> right? But isn't that true? Isn't there wisdom in the sense that we do the best we can and we leave the rest up to God? All right. Next week we're going to look at love in more depth. Um, if you will read through all three of the letters, because we're jumping back and forth between them, and they're so small, it won't take you long. All right. Write down any questions you have. Bring them in. And we can discuss them. Right. Bless you all on your way.